0: This is Bloomberg Surveillance.
1: Innovation is something which by its nature cannot be forecast. If you could forecast it, it wouldn't be innovation.
0: We think that people have leapfrogged what is reasonable into excessive worry.
1: We took some major fiscal steps to expand the economy in 2009. We followed up with several more, but those ended prematurely.
0: Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keen. It is 7 a.m. on Wall Street, 7 p.m. in Tokyo, where the Bank of Japan is in the middle of a two-day meeting. Imagine most of the world's central banks meeting at the same time. What would you call it? we would call that This Week. Monetary policy being made in the U.S., Tom, U.K., Japan, Switzerland, Norway, South Africa, and Russia, along with some other emerging markets. Only
1: you would have that whole list of names.
0: Yeah, and on top of that, political risk. The German elections yesterday, followed by a big day at the polls in the U.S. tomorrow, going to be a very interesting day for investors, interesting week for investors around the world. Ahead of all that, a three-day winning streak for Japanese equities. The Nikkei up one and three-quarters percent. The yen weakens almost to 114, 113.68 at this point. The FTSE ahead of the Bank of England meeting is higher right now by 36 points, 6 tenths of a percent The pound is weaker, 143.55. European equities overall stronger. The stocks 600 is three points higher this morning, 8 tenths of 8%. The euro has weakened 111.15 though, still way stronger than it, uh, w- uh, I'm sorry, uh, way stronger than it was when the ECB met last week. Uh, strong protest vote against Angela Merkel. In uh, Germany, but the DAX is up this morning, 155 points, 1.6 percent. Uh, the U.S. stronger dollar, lower oil, they seem to go together. West Texas down almost two percent this morning, 37.76 Brent, 39.80, one and a half percent lower, which has futures down. S and e E-mini futures off four points, about two tenths of a percent. A tenth drop for Dow futures, 15 points. Nasdaq futures down four points right now, a tenth of eight percent. Interesting that central bank risk is definitely in the markets this week. But as I noted in Germany, political risk is not. And in the U.S., investors don't seem rattled at the moment by Trumpism. Richard Haas is president of the Council on Foreign Relations. We thank him for coming by this morning. Richard, are investors feeling so protected by central bank policy that they don't need to worry at the moment about the political divisions that seem to be arising in
2: countries around the world? I'm not sure people are seeing the connections that you may you know, be assuming here. So you have you know, all the events you talked about from any number of central banks meeting to you know, terrorist attacks in, in the Cote d'Ivoire or in uh, Ankara to the German uh, state elections to the primary elections here. But I don't think people necessarily are drawing direct lines or links between any of those events and their economic situation which they see as something that's apart from that and much more fundamental
0: the question that uh, came to my mind when um, when I was thinking about over the weekend with, with what's going on with uh, Trump and what's going on in Germany and and what's going on in England as they prepare for their meeting with the fiscal policy just off the board when fiscal policy is what people say w- you know the experts say would really help why, how have we gotten to the point where people so
2: thoroughly reject that which would be good for them. Because fiscal policy, as you and people listening to the show know, is about spending and taxing. And there's hard to, it's hard to think about two more politically loaded questions than how to tax and how to spend. Monetary policy has the advantage of being rem- made by a few people who are essentially apart from the political process. That's the strength of, that's the strength of it. But you can't take uh, fiscal policy out of the political process. It is the political process, and essentially it's gridlocked in most countries. But for years,
0: though. It was just talk about the U.S. For years, the federal government spent money to stimulate the economy. Uh, Keynesian economics was accepted. Uh, and now uh, the whole idea of any kind of fiscal activity is anathema. Uh,
2: well, it, it is, and you see it you know, particularly because of some changes in the, in the Republican Party, and I think in this country, I won't speak for others, uh, the inability to agree on fiscal po- policy is increasingly uh, a reflection of the polarization of, uh, of, of our politics. I think you had, you finally had, say, a, a budget deal this year, but what's as interesting is what it didn't get to, uh, among other things. It, it didn't touch entitlements. It didn't touch, uh, some important parts of the, uh, society and the economy. Infrastructure is still not uh, getting funded anywhere the, near the way it, uh, it should in this country. I just think these things, uh, here are the inability to deal with fiscal policy is is mm. a reflection of our political gridlock and I just don't see at the moment how to how to change that anytime soon.
1: An important conversation this morning with Richard Haas the council on foreign relations of course with all due respect uh with our politics look for that this evening and through the election day tomorrow in Florida, Ohio and other selected uh, states. Bloomberg surveillance this Monday brought to you by Invesco. Invesco believes it's time to say goodbye to the traditional 60/40 stock bond allocation say hello to alternatives is a core part of modern portfolios. Learn more at Invesco.com slash alts. Invesco, I-N-V-E-S-C-O Invesco.com slash alts A-L-T-S. And we thank Invesco for their commitment to our conversation on economics. Finance, Investment, and International Relations, which means Richard Haas is a good person uh, to speak to. What's your new book going to be called? I know you've already sold the movie rights. What's the book (laughs) going to be called?
2: I'm not sure who you're playing yet, Tom. It's (laughs) It's called A World in Disarray, and Penguin Press is publishing it later this year.
1: It is America in disarray. No one thought we'd be where we are after the last 10 days we've seen. Define establishment. And it's a hugely misused word. Define establishment and tell me what the to-do list is.
2: One of the reasons the world is in disarray is because the United States is in disarray. And one of the reasons the United States is in disarray is there isn't any establishment anymore. And by that I mean there, there's, there's no consensus. There's no consensus between the parties. We were just talking about that. There's no consensus within the parties. There's no consensus outside the parties. This is a country which has changed in so many ways demographically. Uh, politically, economically, socially, the consensus was born of a United States it was very much centered in the northeast. Uh, it was a much smaller country in terms of uh, population, much more controlled by men. It was controlled by a politics that was essentially between the 40-yard lines. Uh, major media had a, a large role. It was before the Internet and so forth. Well, suddenly we're seeing narrow casting rather than broadcasting. We're seeing all sorts of ways of funding our politics that don't require parties. Uh, we're seeing the country has demographically changed in any number of ways. So I actually think uh, it's, it's increasingly impossible to speak of an establishment that also is unraveled because of political developments from Vietnam to the, to the 2003 Iraq War on foreign policy. Uh, basic questions about civil liberties versus privacy, look at the debate between FBI and uh, Apple, some of the problems over 2008, and fundamental questions now we're seeing, for example, about trade. You used to have an establishment view that free trade was good for the United States. That is completely out the window, and both Democrats and Republicans are beginning to question and like it. And Michael
1: Ambassador House told me uh, an hour ago, the TPP really is at risk. I mean, it's just it's just evaporated after what we've seen over two years.
2: I just don't see it getting passed, uh, not just before the election. It's very hard to see how it gets passed in the lame duck now. And in its present form, I don't think any of the four top people uh, would be committed to passing it. So then you're talking about either renegotiation with the other parties, which is extremely difficult, or some sort of a unilateral deal on the United States between the executive branch and Congress, certain sorts of side agreements and understandings. So either way, the, the path for TPP has become far more tenuous.
0: Let me ask you to expand on what you said about no um, consensus. Uh, we tend, we're we're in, in the Northeast. We're in New York. We are where um, the media focus is. We watch television constantly. The cable networks in the tank for Donald Trump, and uh, you know all this stuff that's going on. But in the rest of the country, where people aren't as narrowly focused, minute by minute, on all this stuff, is there more of a uh, a consensus about? What should happen in the country? In other words, is there more of a middle cl- – uh, a middle, not class, but a middle view of what
2: should happen out there than maybe we give credit? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so in terms of what the policy should be, and there's often disconnects. So you see people you know, very co- concerned about any changes to entitlements, to Social Security, uh, to Medicaid. You see, uh, on the other hand, they also then will complain, complain about the size of the, the deficit and, uh, and the debt. Uh, on issue after issue i think there's certain intellectual and political disconnects but no i don't think if you get outside the uh, with the beltway in washington or the northeast corridor the amtrak corridor i don't think there's a what we call the ROTC, rest of the country consensus i i don't think uh, I, I don't think it's it's there
1: mike mentioned uh, i believe it was a michigan uh, election in that tuesday a week ago seems forever ago after what we witnessed the massive turnout and the massive belief that this system is not working The the overwhelming thing is a public that flat out disagrees with the elite optimism we get in this show.
2: Absolutely. And people don't feel the system is working for them. I think they feel it's rigged. And what's interesting is if you take some of the talking points of Donald Trump and some of the talking points of Bernie Sanders, there's a considerable overlap between those talking points. There's a considerable common appeal. But they're both in some ways crossover candidates. And I think we're beginning to see, Tom, and this is slightly dangerous ground, but I think we're beginning to see greater class appeals in American society. Part of the ethos of the United States because of upward mobility is we never really thought about class.
1: We're going to come back with Richard Haas of the Council on Foreign Relations. These important conversations before Florida, Ohio, and others vote tomorrow. Futures negative four.
0: All right, let's check in with Michael Barr. at the latest world and national headlines. Michael.
3: Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Five primaries take place tomorrow, and the candidates are trying to push their case. Donald Trump could basically set up an insurmountable lead if he has a big day. His Republican rivals continue their criticism of the violence at some of Trump's rallies, accusing Trump of causing it with his comments. The primaries are in Ohio, Illinois, Missouri, North Carolina, and Florida. Turkey's Air Force is hitting Kurdish rebels in northern Iraq today, hours after a suicide car bombing in Ankara killed 37 people and heightened tensions with the Kurdish rebels. Police plan to resume their search later this morning on the Hudson River for the body of a third crew member who went missing after a tugboat crashed into a barge north of New York City. The accident caused the tugboat to sink. Last night, police divers stopped searching inside the sunken tugboat for 56-year-old Harry Hernandez. Global news 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom,
1: Michael, thanks so much. Yen, 113.69, a slightly weaker yen this morning. With Richard Haas, this is Bloomberg Surveillance.
0: Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by your Tri-State BMW centers. Visit them online at tristatebmw.com. At BMW, they make only one thing, the ultimate driving machine.